tetragrammaton. talk about it when we record but like the show is made work and life the same thing in so many ways how long have you been filming now now for three or four weeks for this no so, but you started before that Well, i started before that and then i would film off and on in that break between like october and january i would film some but everything has been since the last special yeah yeah. And from the time that you started it, it, it what I remember was I'm just going to start filming stuff, but you didn't have a, I don't remember you having a clear vision of an end of what it was going to no, be. No, no. It, well, it's, we're treating it episodically now. Like it's like just like episodes show. of the show. Um, just thinking of it as like a docu-series, but it, like it kind of flows like life, like nothing's on a rigid schedule. It's really funny how it's coming together because yeah. it is like it is work, but it's not. It's so personal now that like it's stuff I should do to anyway. grow in yeah. in, in, in life. In life, yeah. And I'm doing it. I was thinking about this the other day. How much like it resembles like when I did the multicam uh, sitcom. The thing that's hard about sitcoms. Like, they can be funny, but, like, the character has to grow in some way by the end of the episode. And, like, I was a comedian that, you know, was not about growth at all. <laughs> I wouldn't have said that. Like, it was yeah. like I would have rebelled against, like, I have no message. There's no growth. So even as a young man making that show, it's like, and what did you learn, Gerard? I'm like, why, why I got to learn something? <laughs> I didn't want to learn. I just yeah. wanted to, like you know have it play out but now i'm ready to learn stuff and i know the like the importance of it so it's actually easier in many ways than writing the show like than trying to find something it, it's hard because it's something that i don't want to do or something i'm afraid of or like it's facing something but it's easier it like it, it writes itself in a more natural way you know because it's like oh I, oh, I have learned something. I, this is what I learned. And it finds a pocket I never could have written. I, I'm just starting. So I don't want to like speak yeah. to some because some of it no, may not be a growth. Some of it may be hitting yeah. a wall. And so would you say that. it's a real reality show? Like like there's never been a real reality show. <laughs> That's exactly how, like, I, how I thought of it. I was like, oh, what if I made a real an, like, like a, a reality real, show that wasn't a fake show yes yes that was a real reality show it is like and, and it's at times aware of itself but not so much that it's distracting you yeah. know it's like it, aware of it as much as one would be aware like okay the cameras are here yeah but I, when you have the cameras around enough you start the awareness dissipates and yeah. it's no longer like look at that and not performing for it anymore because you would just be exhausted like just hours and hours and hours of filming like you yeah. you 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 got you eventually let your guard down yeah when you when you're doing a comedy when you get up or doing a proper comedy show 
And whether you're just there with the audience or whether it's being filmed, is it different? Like if, if you know you're filming it, does it change? So filming does, like on stage does heighten it. But in, in a way that I love, like, it's like, okay, get this. Like, it's it's kind of, I mean, I, talking to you, you know this, that space where, like, complete focus and letting go meet. And it's like, like, I, I, I trust it more because I know the camera captures the truth, even if I'm trying to hide it. So I might as well not hide it. So it incentivizes me to be honest and incentivizes me to to, like, want to go somewhere i want to give a show i'm on stage and i want to perform and i want it to be good and you know if it's being recorded i would like not to go back to get another take i don't consider it that way i want to get it right now right mm -hmm. and th there's a combination of those things that when i get that right it, it just it's just a much better show it's just much better um so you'd say would you say that the pressure of filming it heightens the experience for you in a good way or is it not that there's pressure it's something else a friend asked me earlier today if i feel pressure and i and and there is pressure to uh do good creatively like you know like to and i know i have to be honest and 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 i know the preparation it takes so i like you know i prepare for every show now more than i have before um, and I, it's a lot of preparation, preparation, and then just like, <laughs> like, like not having my phone around, like not, no small talk, no nothing. I walk from my door to the stage if I'm in New York and I'm doing city winery, I literally just with headphones, Dave Brubeck walking in there and like, let go. And, and so I, having the cameras there it, it's just like it confirms what i already know that like it, you know it's just another experience but it's a more permanent experience someone else in the audience who is taking like really taking all this in recording it and so i want to do well for that you know um which is what i should be feeling anyway and i do but like the cameras just well it's an interesting thing as you say it what i'm thinking about is when you do a show in front of an audience, it's public. So people have the experience and it's that moment. When you film it, two things happen. One, more people can see it, mm -hmm. but also you can watch it over and over again, yeah. which you can't do if you don't film it. Yes. So there's the repeat, the repeat aspect of it. And that's very different. That's it, a very different It's very thing. different. It's very different. And it makes me, uh, Bo called them like, like they almost feel like these unique improvised jazz performances. Like, oh, you came here tonight. You'll never see this performance again. Yeah. And like, that's how my shows have been going. So capturing it, it makes me want to do that more. It makes me want to like craft some unique experience that I haven't recorded before that I can record right now that I can't do again, yeah. you know, and it's, yeah, yeah. I suppose in some ways also, once it's on film, it's it becomes obsolete. It's over. It's over. And you and you don't say those things anymore. 
because yeah. you've said those. I've, I've said those. I've recorded those. Yeah. Whereas yeah, if you bro. don't film it, you might do a similar set another night. You might, perf- you know, like work towards perfecting the material over weeks, months, years. Yeah, yeah. Until you film it. And then when you film it, that like it's stamped. Yes. And then it gets taken out. And now we're back to a clean slate. Yeah. Yeah. Now, because it's been so personal, it can, I, I'm filming where I'm at right now in my life. It's a snapshot of right now. Sometimes I'm like talking about something very immediate. Sometimes it's figuring out a person from my past, an event from my past. But because it's so personal, like it's like any, it's like a conversation about it or like a therapy session about it, or like it's just exploring it from whatever angle, whatever is happening in that moment. Stories. Um, and then that's it, <laughs> you know, that's it. And yeah, if it's recorded, then we record it back. And it, but even if I talked about it again, it would just be different. Like talking about my dad, yeah, you know, I just went on the this road trip with my dad and I, I haven't done stand up about it yet, but I could do 10 completely different sets about that road trip. Like, you know, like completely different thoughts or <laughs> ways in like 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 i'm trying to figure out what it is so i would be working it out yeah. on stage you know? so if you didn't do those 10 sets to get that material out in the very near future would it just evaporate it would evaporate but it would change and, and it, it I, I can it's it's at its best when there's something urgent when there's something pressing either something that i've like a, a revelation i've had or something that could lead me to a revelation on stage, or a question that I can explore, but there has to be urgency to it. Um, so, what would happen is like you know, in like it, it's taken me like a week. It, it hasn't been a full week yet, but it's taken me some days to. I've had realizations today about you know last week, and and it, that it'll grow, and I'll I'll start capturing those, writing these things down. And then, you know, I'll do some sets. A month from now, it's something else. It's what I've taken from it at that point. Maybe I have a burning question, or maybe there's something else that I, uh, I'm trying to figure out about it. But it may not be as urgent. It may not be uh, like, you know, maybe it will, maybe it won't. I don't know. But I can only follow those things which are. Yeah. When did the idea of honesty become such a hallmark of what you're doing it's it was like such a wild thing to conceive it it was like exposing at least is how i felt like it was exposing all of my life up until that point as at least somewhat of a lie and i felt like somewhat of a liar retrospectively um and because that was so big and so scary doing that it's almost like a drug now it's like okay can i just be can i just be honest can i expand that into my work can i expand that into my relationship 
Can I expand that into everything? Um, how can I make work out of it? it? It's just because it's a personal obsession, which I, I, I still fall short of in the smallest ways and sometimes in bigger, more consequential ways, keeping stuff from people important to me, or keeping myself from people important uh, uh, to me. Uh, you know, it, it makes the work interesting. But but it they they are married now like because it's like if I'm talking about my life on stage then I'm talking about my life on stage for real, um, um, and I don't know I'm just I'm curious to see how how long I can keep it up <laughs> like I I don't know like the the I keep finding new consequences if that makes sense like i keep yeah. finding new like it it doesn't feel easy yet only consequences or consequences and prizes like both. consequence both both but the consequences is what makes it if it were consequence free i i don't know if i would be applying it to my work you know because i like it, it wouldn't it, it wouldn't be as interesting okay so as it relates to consequences let's talk about the golden globes Okay. Tell me your experience of that <laughs> of that night. Um, that night was I, I didn't know what, exactly what I was going to say um, until like truly fifteen minutes before like going out there. Did you have something else you could have done? Like, did you have something else up until that moment? Was there a different plan? I, I just couldn't settle on one. I didn't know what it needed. Yeah. from me like yeah. and and i said yes i felt compelled to say yes how far in advance did you say yes this is maybe four weeks so not so long not so long yeah. not so long and um i said yes i wanted to do it i get excited it, it's it, it's interesting because i feel as though i could be a good host and i resent that because i, I don't know to me, my definition of host is sacrificing yourself for, uh, you know, the show. And you the, ho the host, being the host is not about you. It's not about you. It's about the and show. And I only want to talk about me. Yeah. I only want to explore, yeah. like, it, it's the thing I have authority over or yes. the story I have authority over. It's the thing that, you know. I'm an expert sometimes that, <laughs> you know, and I'm curious about, I want to talk about me. So hosting was hard because I know what the set traditionally requires, like jokes, it's jokes. And, and I, I tell jokes sometimes it, 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 I, it hasn't been how I, describe my style recently <laughs> like like it's not a lot of jokes i think i'm funny i don't think i tell a lot of jokes though <laughs> i told a lot of jokes and i can write a joke and i wrote some jokes for the globes and i and i said a few jokes post monologue sprinkled throughout i said like some of the jokes that i thought were funny i thought they were really funny i thought they <laughs> were kind of dangerous and funny and and um but the monologue, I, I didn't know how to talk. I don't know how to talk for 
five minutes, not about me. I can, I'm just not interested in that. Yeah. Like, and I was, it was a lot to figure out with the Globes. Like, why did I say yes? I kept trying to figure out why did I say yes? Yeah. And why did you say yes? Let's let's talk about it. Because I it. like it. I do love award shows. I love show business. Yeah. I love the entertainment industry. Yeah. I think it's really, really cool. Yeah. And I, I, and sometimes I sound pretentious and I sound like an asshole. And it's only because I love it so much. I think things should be good and can be good. I yeah. think things should be exciting. I love television. I love live television. I watch SNL every week because it's a live event where something could happen something exciting could happen it's a show that you have to get right in the moment that's exciting to me the golden globes is live i, I just done snl i wanted to do this i was like oh this is great because there's some danger in that like what's going to happen and i knew that and i and i you know i knew i wasn't going to tell nbc my monologue and i knew i kind of had the situation by the balls because they got in controversy over like some race shit they got a black host because they kind of had to, which is, you know, yeah. and and here I am, you know. It's also it's, different, though. The Golden Globes and SNL are really different because people are coming to SNL to laugh. Yes. People are coming to Golden Globes to hopefully win an award, and there there's anxiety. There's Everyone anxiety has anxiety. anxiety. It's like be like but even it's the like getting up in Las Vegas. Like the people in Las Vegas aren't there to see comedy. They, yeah. They're there to do to gamble. Yeah. And if you go to a comedy show, it's a weird vibe in the room. Some people lost. You Some know? Pe they lost. Or if they're winning, they want to go back yes, to the table. Exactly. Exactly. They don't want to break it. Yeah. Yes. And the show had anxiety. The show itself had a nervousness to it. Because and of the the uh the fact that it was the the controversy of the past. It had an organization, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association that had no black members that was found out you know and uh as they reorganized they didn't air uh the previous year and so they're back on a one-year contract and i'm the host it's a one-year contract and uh I, I did feel an obligation to speak to that and in many ways for the show and justify even the need for the show like because it's like uh, you could argue why does this even exist anymore um but because i love showbiz and i you know have a deep appreciation for really talented people even if it is like a silly organization then you know if people want to watch and you can award people for being talented that year in their field then great i think that's great you know, and I think it got so mired in politics and I just wanted to address why I was there and what I thought about it. And and I, I felt like that was the marriage between my stand up where I'm at right now and the show. And I was like, OK, well, I'll, I'll talk about me and, and how I got here. Um, uh, it just felt like the right thing to do to me. It, it felt like the right thing to do. Um, and I still wanted it to be funny. And I still think, I personally, I think it's very funny. I like, I laugh at it. I laugh at like, um, uh, there, there was, you know, a couple jokes that the room was so tense. They didn't really laugh, but I was like, all right, <laughs> what can you do about that? Um, and you felt the anxiety of what is he going to say? Which is exciting to me because it's live. And like, I'm not just telling jokes and I'm not like Ricky Gervais should host truly he should host yeah. like like and he'll probably be back next year <laughs> he 
he should do it. You know, I think it is like the ribbing that they want. Like they they want like you know jab us, but what? But I was just being personal. I was you know talking about the president of the organization and, and NBC marketing and things that were very real. You know, um, what was the feeling in the room? What did it feel like being on stage? Well. First of all, I, I talked to production before the show. And, and don't get me wrong, I love Stephen Hill, who asked me to do it. But I asked production to have the room quiet, just from a performance aspect. Like, I'm, I'm treating it like any other show, as far as I'm concerned, as a performer. Like, I want to go out and I want the room to be as quiet as you can. Like, because I, I, it's television, again, and when the red light is on, shut up. <laughs> like like focus should be for the camera like this is a, a a force beyond all of us now that's how i view it mm -hmm. and i know it's the the boozy one and the fun one but i'm like we're on a one-year contract i actually want to do a good job and i want to have like you know focus to do it i go out it's loud so you know they cut it out of the youtube clip but like on the actual live one it's the the first few seconds are just me asking the audience to settle i'm just pacing back and forth and asking them to settle down and getting the focus down and like quiet really focuses everyone's attention so everyone then got quiet and then i began uh but it was uh at that point then kind of a nervous energy <laughs> you know like everyone's kind of quiet and lean forward and they want to laugh and they're looking for a way to laugh, a reason to laugh. But, you know, a lot of people in that room aren't familiar with me, so they don't know, like, my sense of humor. <laughs> and they're learning it in in the moment. Um, and, uh, yeah, it felt a little tense. It felt a little tense. Was it after the monologue, what was your immediate feeling right when the monologue ends? Good. I felt like I said what I wanted to say. Yeah. I was like, yeah, this is, that's... <laughs> what I wanted to say, kind of yeah. how I wanted to say it. Yeah. I didn't want to smile, and I didn't smile, you know. And I told jokes, you know, uh, for the rest of the night, and I was ready to do that. But the monologue felt good. It felt like me. I, 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 I think if I can recognize myself, I feel okay about it. Yeah. If I know that I went out there and yeah. it was me. And all right, I was like, cool. <laughs> Felt pretty cool. In earlier when you were talking about going on a trip with your father just, just now and coming back, and now there's 10 potential sets that could come from that. Yeah. How much do you look back on things like you just did, you just went on this trip? How much do you think about it after? A lot. A lot. My my friend Avery said I uh, seem heavy like for the past couple of days, and it's because it is a lot to process. Just my father and his past, and and you know, I I I brought up things he didn't want to talk about, and you know, I watched him really shut down, and I saw myself in wow. him. Wow! Wow! And in it's that's heavy. Yeah, it's a lot. It's That's a lot. And, and I'm, I can see me. I can really see me. And I can see him trapped in there sometimes. And 
I don't know. And, and and I saw parts of myself that I didn't like. Like, why am I doing, like, question the whole thing. Why am I doing this? Why do I have cameras on my father? And I'm asking these personal questions. And and I, I feel at times I question the necessity of that. And then I know I never would have asked them these things without them. And so then I get answers that even when he doesn't answer, the camera gets an answer. Camera always gets an answer. And so I get answers. And some of those answers, you know, call into question my whole childhood. <laughs> you know, and it's like heavy. And it's and it's like that's what I'm saying about like consequences. Like it it doesn't feel good. It it, it going through that, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't know how else to put so, it. Well, you're like saying it. it's a difficult process, but you have to get through the process in order to get to the other side of it. Yeah, I'm hoping there's something to learn, and I know I have to keep digging deeper in me and my father's relationship, just personally, with yeah. or without cameras. Yeah. I still have to. There's stuff I have to figure out, and I and I want to figure out while he's here. What do you think it is about you wanting the camera? You said you wouldn't ask the questions if the camera wasn't on. It, it makes me braver some, somehow because it's it's on the record and it's like there is something God like about the camera like all right you're in front of God say what you want to say like God sees all you can only express purity in front of God like in the presence of God in a way not to sound dramatic about it but it, it it's a lie detector test it's a it's god a little bit um and i know that could be a sick way of looking at it but i always view god as present yeah and and the camera just confirms how i felt so it being there ask you're, you're in front yeah. of god now what would you ask someone in front of god if god is present yeah i wonder if you couched it that's a really interesting idea. If you said to your dad, I know there's a camera here, but don't worry about that. Answer me as if God is present. God is present. Let's let's have a conversation before God. Yeah. Yeah. How does that change the anxiety level when you're having a conversation before God versus in front of a camera? I feel like in front of God, I would relax more. For me, well, once I learned to trust God, <laughs> I, I trust God and, and so I can. But it wasn't easy for me just to overcome the personal obstacles, like the fears, the fear of perception um, or being perceived the wrong way because I was always afraid of being found out my whole life. So Your was, whole life starting when? As long as I can remember, I knew there were feelings I had toward boys that were wrong, and I knew my father's secret, and that brought me a certain level of embarrassment for my family. And so I was always kind of hiding something, hiding little details about myself or hiding uh, uh, actual actual uh, facts about my life just because I don't want to be found out. I, I was afraid of being caught. Um, but you were afraid of being caught by people or by God? 
all of it all of it i was afraid of being caught by people and god i i had a i don't i don't want to tell like too vulgar of a, of a story or a trait but like <laughs> when i was a kid like you know i we always had a computer I asked my parents to get a, a computer so we got an ibm and um right when i was like you know 12 13 um i would get home from middle school before my parents got home from work so obviously as a kid this perfect amount of time to you know jerk off and explore yourself and whatever i'm doing what all boys do so you know i'm on the internet but i i <laughs> i always felt like god was in the room he's always watching so it made me put away I, I would put away if there was like a bible out if my mom left the bible out i had to put that out of the room or like any crosses or little things i had to kind of turn around before doing it because god is looking at you and the even that was too much having these physical manifestations of god glaring at me I, it just was too much so i would put that away but still feeling like god was watching and me being a little closeted gay boy on my gay websites you know i would watch gay porn first finish and then i would go back and watch a straight porn video just to even it out like i was like well like it it wasn't that jerking off was wrong to god it was jerking off to gay porn that i thought was wrong to god and maybe he would be okay with me or even proud of me for like jerking off to straight porn right after so i was like i would do both i would have to squeeze in too <laughs> before my mother got home for god uh, you know I, so I, I always felt like I was watching. Um, and now my vision of God has changed. So I bring in cameras. <laughs> what was, um, what was your relationship to going to church as a kid? Every Sunday. Um, uh, my mom went every Sunday she was off work. And even if she was working, I went with my grandma Sunday school early. We're supposed to get there at nine fifteen. We're always a little late. Just if there's time, stop by Bojangles and get a sausage biscuit, <laughs> and sit in church. And I sang on the choir. Um, I led songs. Um, I have a great voice. <laughs> um, I, I found fun in arguing in Sunday school. I started having a slightly different view of God than my teachers at a pretty young age. So it was fun on Wednesday night prayer meeting to like go and argue and have discussions. And and um, they found me funny. So it was a big social uh, thing, too. I, I had fun at church. So you looked forward to going. It wasn't like you went under duress. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. There were plenty of times where I would have rather stayed at home playing video games or you know, football in the streets or wrestling in the backyard with my friends. But my mom insisted. And my mom even insisted that uh, if we wanted to come in the house, like she would read the Bible to us, like me and all my friends. So it's just me and a bunch of smelly boys just <laughs> sitting in the den while my mom read Psalm 91 to us. So much that I've memorized it, like I can uh, quote certain Bible verses back very easily. And we would go on Wednesday nights, playing would be disrupted by her call to get in the car, go to church, um, seven o'clock prayer meeting, uh, uh, and the kids would go downstairs. 
And sometimes I would go upstairs and argue with the adults, you know, and, and once I was there, it was fun. I had fun even, you know, being bored. And I like to sing. So even singing hymns was kind of fun to me. Um, and, uh, you know, those discussions, those arguments were always a reason to go. I found a reason to go and to like it. Um, and I, I was active and I wanted to do more at church. I even joined like the youth missionaries and I wanted to do certain like outreach things and, and, and have productions and things that w would keep kids interested. And, you know, I was a kid myself, but I, I just wanted to do things that my very conservative minister shunned and shut down. And so I felt really stifled by the church, even in the perspective, started feeling really, um, narrow and and i still believed in god and i i just believed in a more dynamic god and i i believed in miracles like i was like okay well the bible talks about miracles i know you have to be open to receiving it so all right if people can walk on water and there can be fishes and loaves then you know i i found little miracles in my own life when i was in tune i still do and i i'm i, I am religious in that way uh, i do seek god and i try to find god because i know i'm at my best when i have him and my version of him is more interior than it was in my childhood but it's still very i can't shake him and so i've stopped fighting and i accept god in a way that's not how my mother views god or how the church i grew up in views god but uh not a, not a wrathful god not a wrathful God, not an exterior God, yeah. not not a man in the sky, it, just a very personal God, a personal Jesus. How much do you think your life in church impacted who you are today? Oh, in so many ways, it, uh, even aside from religion, just the the, the performance, the it, it, church teaches you a lot about performance. One, how to get people excited how to keep people's attention um there's a lot of danger in church there's a lot of um you know there's ways to be provocative you know when arguing even just like being in a uh, a southern black uh baptist church and going up and talking about uh malcolm x and and like talking about the like even in an environment like that it's like seen as radical or like finding ways to say curse words or like <laughs> like it's just like it, it it affected me as a performer my father uh teaching me how to um uh act like i was feeling the spirit when leading a song and jumping up and down and like how people got excited and taking the mic out of the stand and walking up and down the aisles like like I would walk until the, the court almost popped and like sometimes the, the bottom would separate and I would just be singing like acapella like, or, yeah, or singing without a mic because, I had, you know, I've gone beyond the limit. Yeah. My, my church got a wireless mic because of me. I was responsible for them getting a wireless microphone. Um, it's like the cape routine, like James Brown's yeah, cape yeah, routine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not Maceo. What's my man's name? He comes and puts the cape yeah. and I, I can't can't do it no more. But like... Jimmy Leonard, something like... Is that J Joey Leonard? Yeah, I can't remember what his... I can't remember his but, name. But exactly, exactly. Like yeah. my dad, <laughs> being from the era of performance really instilled a lot of those things in me. And, 
Yeah, you learn a lot. You learn the, the minister, you know, and, and and you can't call it a performance. That's always interesting, too, because my mom would say stuff like, oh, I thought you were feeling the spirit. And I'm like, I was 11. Like, really? Like, you know, but but it just meant I was good at it. And ministers perform and you have to uh, put emphasis on certain things and sometimes say things that maybe you question, but you have to sell it and you have to find emotion in things and find emo- the best find emotion in their delivery. And I do believe that they believe what they're saying and, and, and they find a pocket. Uh, my uncle William was such a good orator. I would go to church, to his church, just to hear him speak. Um, and passion is important to, you know, to not have people yawning and just asleep in their seat you know, perspective is important. So like, it's, it, it, it's an interesting show. I, I, I like church because it's a very interesting show. Um, I needed, I, I was talking about those Sunday services that we went to. I, I missed those. We went incredible basically every Sunday for a year. Yeah. And, and, and because the music was the best part. So like, it was like my favorite part of church for like an hour, an hour and a half my favorite part outside outside even inside in the dome in the room was so great like the sound and bringing you know a horn section in and and drums in and then sometimes you'd sing amid the choir and sometimes they were in a circle in the middle and sometimes we're on a mountaintop and sometimes we're in a field and it was just the greatest thing ever and i got to send yay songs from my childhood like you know how excellent was like a song we sang in church and now they're doing it in this magical place and and i i brought my mom to coachella you know to hear it 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 was it was it was amazing it was amazing i i I cried in church for the first time in years at those sunday services That, that was very very religious it was a very truly religious experience yeah it was for him too you it was it was everything. So important for him. Yeah. Anytime you get up, do you record the set? Yes, now. And do you listen back or not? Some sets. Some sets I do. Some sets I send to a couple friends for uh, thoughts. Um, I can listen back now. I couldn't before when I was more of a character on stage. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't stand to hear it. I, I realize that now before I thought I was being lazy or I thought I was being, uh, I thought it was just something I couldn't do, go back and listen to myself. Oh, I don't do that. But it, it was because I recognize the falseness in a lot of it. And that's hard to hear. It's hard to watch. It's hard to hear. If you listen back now, are you ever surprised by what you hear? Yes, I'm surprised at what I say sometimes. I'm surprised by stories I recall. Sometimes I tell a story for the first time on stage. I'm, I'm like, oh, I've never said that to anyone before. And, and if I'm feeling really free, free with a, with a focus, you know, it, it is this balance between... It, there is work to get there, but... I can let go if I if if I've done the work. I can let go and and I'll find stuff all the time. That's why the performances are unique because I am having realizations on stage at, at my best. 
right my freest i should say I, it, it is happening um yeah yeah it makes me laugh now if i laugh it's true i i like it's not part of the act <laughs> i'll i'll go oh wow that's funny yeah <laughs> like i'll realize something might be kind of funny as yeah. i'm saying it yeah. um how was the the preparation for rothaniel different than the preparation for eight eight was more traditional eight was me on the road I never did the road a lot because I always made specials for television. Like, um, and, and, and in, in many ways, I was always trying to give a unique performance like each time and offer something. I always knew I wanted to offer something. And as a young comedian, I was trying to figure out what that was. And I thought it was my best jokes. And uh, something changed in between tapings of eight because eight the first set i did the show it was a good show it was some riffing with the audience and some like very new moments i had that even in my first special like th there was a completely different set between tapings of my first special um i was freer in the second one i know that it's a part of me that i should capture you know it's something that i that i can do so uh, so without me being a little free up there it, it, it's not the best show um but eight i'd done the traditional set i remember my brother coming in saying that was great you're playing with house money now i remember bo coming upstairs and saying uh we basically got it it's like really you got it. we got the the special and i felt like there was something else I wanted to give. Again, I'm young and I don't know how to do that. I'm trying to figure out how to do it, but I know we got a second special in an hour and I'm going to figure it out. And I was at the uh, Masonic Temple in New York on 23rd Street. And I'm in this, this like room like this with this long table and a giant gold statue of George Washington <laughs> and at the end of the long table is a bottle of of Maker's Mark <laughs> that I brought upstairs for inspiration <laughs> and I, I've been drinking uh, a little bit and then drinking a little bit more and just you know I called Ari and I was like you know like man you know just trying to pour my heart out trying to be vulnerable just trying just trying like just like talking to Ari because I can always be true with him and I can always like be my total self with him unapologetically I can I can I can say the wrong things to him and I I trust him with my life and so I, I called him and I'm like I, by this point I'm already slurring and I'm and I'm I've never been drunk before I I, I didn't drink like I didn't have my first drink until my mid-20s and at, at this time are you drinking to get drunk or you're just drinking I'm drinking because I want to give more and this will open me up a little bit yeah. and, I, and, and and yes you want to, to do get something drunk. different I want than to do you something different and, and yes to get drunk but I had never been drunk before so you don't know what you're so you, I don't really know what drunk you're, is you're, go, you're moving into the unknown I'm moving into the unknown, and I don't know how much I'm drinking. I I, I don't. <laughs> yeah, if you if you're not a regular drinker, 
I'm just what does it mean? I'm just tossing them back. I'm just I'm tossing <laughs> back. Like I, like my my family has a high tolerance level. I, I've learned, <laughs> and 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 so it's I'm just doing shots of of, of whiskey straight. Calling friends, trying to cry, <laughs> trying to pour something into the regular set. Not, not thinking, uh, like, like, change the words, like, like, change my intention, change the words. These are things I've learned, things I learned in time. But, like, I'm just thinking, I want to pour my heart out. I want to give them everything this taping. I got, I got the words. I give something beyond words, Gerard. That's what I'm telling myself. And by the time they came to get me to go downstairs, I, I don't know what hit me. I, I don't remember much. I, I just kind of, I remember stepping foot on stage. We were in the round. So it's all a little weird and dreamy. Anyway, I'm in these long, weird halls and I it's a weird route to the stage and so I walk into this room and everyone's dressed up and they're in suits and it's like you know they're applauding for me and I remember stepping on stage and I don't remember how I started the show <laughs> I don't remember I don't remember the opening line I don't know if that's the show that we got are we going to be no I think that was from the first one we might have got the intro from the first one because that was part of the plan but uh I don't remember much about that show. I was told that I started somewhere maybe 20 minutes in repeating jokes. From the same set? From, from, from the from same that set. you said within uh, the 20 minutes Within before. the 20 minutes before, I started kind of going back and repeating things. And then the first time it happened, you know, Bo loves to tell the story. He's like at the monitors and it's just like, he's, he catches it first. You know, by the second time it happens, he looks over the execs from HBO and A24 were there. And they start looking at each other a little strange, like, did, did he already say that? By the third time, everyone's like, okay, what the fuck? <laughs> everyone's like, what is happening? And I don't really know what's happening. I have, like, flashes from that set. But I, I, I remember feeling like I was on stage pleading, but I don't know about what. And I'm just saying things and saying things. And all of a sudden, I remember hearing Bo's voice from the voice of God, Mike, just like talking to me, basically saying, wrap it up. I, I've been on stage for far longer than an hour. And I'm like just going and it's getting weird. And Bo is calling me off stage. So at some point, I finally just... In the show, I get I, I, I wrap it up. I go and like collapse in the the dressing room, and Bo loves to say that he says to Bill Chase, uh, an exec who's since retired at HBO, he says, "Hey, Bill, it was a pleasure working with you." And Bill just laughed. He went ha and walked up. <laughs> <laughs> and there was some article that some uh, you know guy wrote about. It being the weirdest taping ever. And you would think I, I got so lucky because some of it, you would think you'd have to throw it out. But I think we used maybe 10, 15 minutes of, it, of that set just because it it was 
hotly emotional or at least read like that on camera for a stretch some of it's just totally unusable and me and both say that someday we're gonna get drunk and watch it <laughs> but but um it was me trying I, I was really trying and then um I, I took time off um to to grow up uh, I think I, I grew a lot in the time that I just stopped doing comedy, I would try and do a show here or there, a few like eventful shows, sometimes like a charity event. I remember getting booed at the Greek theater at the start of the Me Too movement. <laughs> like doing like some Will Ferrell like charity show. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm doing sets sporadically and then I just stopped. And then Trump happened and Trump kind of killed comedy for me because just no one was funnier than him and and <laughs> what was the point and 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 he was the greatest current event comic that's the other thing like trump was the best at <laughs> and i'm not even saying that i had personal change because of that but i'm saying that it coincided with this happening so like i i felt no urge to go up and i'm gonna say something funnier about the world than the president no i it was impossible so uh and with less consequence i i would say it with less consequence so but i i came out to my friends at this time the time came out to my family and and uh uh, uh started go doing free associative therapy uh uh reading a, a lot i started reading more and started working in a different way than i had before writing in a way that i'd never written like i i was never really a writer i don't think i became a writer during that time um and uh tried to grow tried to become more open still trying uh, so i don't want to say like i nailed it but uh, trying just trying and uh and then i had a reason to do stand up again and then i had something to say um and and a new way to say it you know because do you remember the first time you got back up after that like after the experience of you did eight you take time off you're reading, you're going inside. What's it like getting up for the first time? Were you already a different person than you were before? Yeah, yeah, I felt I, I felt it. And I, I was more, I felt prepared to say things that I'd never said before. I felt energized to say it. And the first time I got up, I went to the comedy store and I, I had so much to say. And, and, and I was, it was like, baby legs I, I didn't know how to 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 run with it yet and, and um I'm, I was in that room and I relied on old tricks trying to find the punchline not living in the moment and and sometimes it's not the space I've learned that too like I've learned to that just what spaces I can truly work in and what I can't for, that works for me now and you know, sometimes, you know, I, 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 my ego would lead me to the clubs and I had to check that and check that intention. Um, and so, uh, 
I went up at the store and it was a little rough and, 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 uh, uh, but I was saying things I hadn't said before, but just in a way that resembled my old style. So, you know, that was a quick death because Bo came and watched me one night. Um, and he was like, man, you know, like, it's just a little, it was just a little rough. He was very honest with me. And, uh, and then one night, um, I remember we left dinner uh, in the valley, and then I was like, I, I should go do a set. I just felt, I felt that I, I wanted to do it, and I went by Flappers, me and him, and I, I and I had an idea of what I wanted to talk about, and Bo just was like, it was like a simple goal of uh, just do something, say something that they'll remember. Just leave the audience with a memory. And I went on stage and I sat down and I talked about not wanting to go home for Christmas. I, I was afraid to go home. I just come out to my family. Didn't go great. A lot of shame, a lot of fear was keeping me away from home. I was a good boy that always went home. Birthdays. And Christmas and every holiday, especially once I could afford to. Um, and I wasn't I wasn't going home for Christmas. The first time I ever didn't go home for Christmas. And I, I, I talked about it. And after that set, Bo was like, oh, we could film uh, like very soon. It was very, very soon. And the, after the first set at the store, he thought he was like, you're going to have to just go on the road for a year and, and, and figure this out. And then. After that set, it, it, something clicked. It, it, I, I, I wasn't afraid to live in the emotion on stage. And I, I, was, uh, I, was, I had the patience for a story. I had the patience and I had the, the need to share it. And something clicked in that set. Um, um, and, and then we... That was in December of 2021. And then we filmed Rathaniel in February 2022. Wow. Yeah. So right after Valentine's Day. It was wow. between Christmas and Valentine's Day. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a really fast. I, I was there emotionally. I was ready yeah. for a change. Yeah. And then the technical part came once I was free enough to tell the truth yeah it's amazing of your three specials the growth and change between each of them is insane it's like they're three different people <laughs> yeah 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 no i try to learn i do want to learn one creatively i always want to give something different and throw out the last thing in some ways even try to rebel against it like okay yeah. like well where was that wrong and where do I disagree with this? Um, but if I'm true to how I change as a person and I capture that, you know, it, it's lightning, but if you can capture that, you, watching someone grow is interesting. Yeah. You know, it's, and, and, it's a diary entry. It's a real moment in time. If the person's interesting and you happen to be, 
And I, I first, um, eight was the first thing that I saw of yours. And it completely blew my mind because it was unlike any comedy, stand-up comedy special I'd ever seen before. And it's hard to do that because comedy, I mean, if you think of stand-up comedy specials, it's a pretty narrow genre. Yeah. There, I mean, different clean jokes, dirty jokes, uh, yeah, big stage, small stage. Yeah, yeah. But it's always, and now here he is, so-and-so, and everybody applauds, mm -hmm. and then the curtains open, and the star comes out on stage, and they tell the first joke. Yeah. And that didn't happen. Right from the beginning, yeah. right from the opening, it's this is strange because you don't you don't get I don't remember if there was any kind of introduction on the video, but in no. the the perception was you're somebody sitting alone in a room and then you're on stage in a close up saying something very personal that doesn't seem like it's a joke. Yeah. And we don't even know that there's an audience. When I say you're on stage, we don't know that yet. And we don't see any audience or hear any audience. And it's just strange. It's like, we've never seen anything like this before. And it felt right immediately. It felt whatever this is, it's interesting and it's personal. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to know more right away. It's like, um, it opened a possibility in my mind that I didn't know. I didn't know it could be like this. Hmm. Right, mm. right out of the box. Mm. So mm. I love it. And I've showed it so many people, even in meetings as an example of doing something radical. It's like, look at how this starts. Well, it's, it's funny because that was, it's all working backward from what's true. And, and I, I'm so thankful to be able to work with Bo. One, he's a genius. How do you meet Bo? Me and Bo met... Like I uh, and uh, like an agent tried to introduce us at some point when he would visit LA when I first moved to LA, and uh, and you know we never really became friends until uh, uh, I, right before uh, my first special, and uh, you know we just we met like I saw him at a movie theater. Um, and complimented Zach Stone because he had a show called Zach Stone was going to be famous, and I loved that show. And I ran up on him just even just as a fan, just hey man, I loved your show. It was great. Just wanted to say hi, whatever. Then uh, he hit me later, like on Twitter when I said out of Twitter, and the, and then we became friends. It pretty immediately. Uh, uh, got very close because I I think he's the friend I was I've been looking for for a long time. Uh, someone of we're from we're so different but um, similar circumstances. Both kind of found ourselves or found something that worked and became pretty successful pretty young and pretty quickly. Uh, uh, and kind of lived our lives the same, like in search of experiences and, 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 uh, uh, we always joke that we live like there was this movie called blank check. 
and it was about a kid who got a million dollars like some somebody hit his bike and gave him a a a, a, a blank check and he filled it in for a million dollars and just obviously went crazy and that's how we live like when we're just like at like universal studios at like you know <laughs> 10 p.m on a tuesday <laughs> like for no reason um uh, uh and and he understood me and, it, it, and i just trusted him it, you know um I, I, tr I still trust him but so much like with my life uh, you know and I, I know I said that about Ari as well but Bo is someone um who I I say everything to and give everything to and so um when we we're talking about eight at first uh I wanted him to direct and he said no he had, it was the first thing he he directed and I said you should direct it he was like no he said you should get Steve McQueen to direct, right? And just like throwing a lob out there. I hadn't even really seen anything of Steve McQueen. I watched them. Obviously, it's incredible. I'm like, fine. I take a meeting with Steve McQueen. He says, first he says, no. He, I, I asked him, I was like, uh, uh, will you direct my special? He's like, he's like, no, I'm not interested in that. And then, and then I came back to Bo. I was like, uh, Steve McQueen said, no, you got to do it. And then he said, yes. Steve later said yes, and my ego wants to say that. I don't need to say that, but I want to say it because he, he, you know, he saw my, <laughs> he saw my stand up, and was like, he'd be down. But it would have been something else. I, I really wanted Bo to do it because Bo understood me, and he understood, like we kind of just trimmed the fat, the things that weren't necessary to me. Again, it's for it, it's just tailor made to me and where I was at the time as a performer and not being again I've always wanted to make specials for television the first one with Spike didn't quite come I, I wasn't bold enough to have a, a complete vision of it um, and I didn't know how to implement it and so it was like it, there's some good that came out of it but it was sort of a botched collaboration I didn't want to do that again um, and Bo just understood like at, at that point, just the intro didn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense for me. And we, we talked about things like that, not even viewing them as radical, radical, just viewing them as true. It was just true. And we talked about all these things and had, you know, uh, uh, and again, he's just very, very good and knows how to create an experience. And I am an excited and willing participant in that. And, you know, we make really good stuff together because of that. Absolutely. And it's interesting, too, because his, it seemed, I don't, I don't know him well. You, you brought him out to dinner with us one time before I knew who he was. Yeah. And I remember our whole dinner, he didn't, I don't think he said one word. No, no, um, no, no. He'll listen. I, I got a big mouth and I'm just like, <laughs> oh, like, no, and another. And Bo's, like, especially in a new situation, it'll be. And I, I, I feel like his sense of humor and your sense of humor seem really different. Yeah. Like yeah. his comedy and your comedy are really different. Both really funny, but not in the same lane at all. Yeah. 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 Um and, and it's funny because we we make each other laugh a lot. Like he, Maybe that's he is, why though. Maybe if it was if you were more similar, it wouldn't be as funny. Yeah, we have just such different perspectives on on life like uh uh 
we we like to joke that even our race like me being black him being white is the least of our differences <laughs> it's like 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 who we are fundamentally as people is so different and and I think we both like to listen to each other and, and I learn a lot from Bo and, and I think he takes some things from me in, in how uh, I've chosen to live life. And, and I, I think it, I think we complement each other well in, in work. Um, um, even to the point, I think he uh, outpaced me in, in some ways in, in eight um, where I think from what he brought to it, he was operating at a more fluent level than I was at the time. I was trying. I'm drunk in the back. I'm trying to figure that out. And uh, and and so, I, you know, for Rothaniel, I came more prepared, uh, I, I believe, more prepared to, uh, to be open, to, uh, uh, to give more of myself, uh, to be directed without ego um a true collaboration uh I, yeah i was i was ready then in a way that i wasn't in eight um and our friendship had grown accordingly even after after eight one of the reasons me and bo are so close is because even after that hot odd taping um you know you t- no one no one called me out on it Right, because it was a little embarrassing, and would have been embarrassing, and and it's not like it was a, a consistent problem or uh, required an intervention, but no, no one, no one in my life, no one who was there. But you were doing an experiment, and you were, as you you said, as was said to you, you were playing with house money. You already had what you needed, and now you were looking for where where can we go further true but i still did uh i did something that was bold if not dangerous right but but even just the fact that no one even acknowledged it i won't even say called me out no one else acknowledged that uh, like the oddness of that night and and uh i woke up the next morning and and i i remember just obviously so hungover and i did Oh, hello on Broadway. I had to be on Broadway that day. I, like John Mulaney and Nick Kroll's show. I was like a guest. <laughs> and so like I'm hungover for me. And um, I didn't see Bo that whole day. But then we talked. He was on the plane. He was going back to L.A. And I started already feeling the need to kind of apologize and try and like control what, what had happened. And, and, and saying, oh, man, I hit a wall. And he was like, I'm going to stop you right there. I, I don't need the spin because I was going to blame. I had a cold and I was it was I was drinking a little bit, but it was also the NyQuil, you know, like like trying to blame medicine. And he was like, don't don't spin it for me. And I loved being called out. I didn't like it in the moment, but I really appreciated it Um, because he's he's honest with me and uh, and, and has always been. Uh, How did you first hook up with HBO? How'd that come to be? HBO was, uh, I, I was really precious about 
being on TV. I, I was really precious about my first time. And it, for a minute, I, I thought I wanted to do Letterman, you know, before Letterman retired. And uh, and I didn't want to, uh, I would get offers from certain shows and like Lopez Tonight and, and these things. And I, I just wanted it to be something else. I, I'm very, very specific about, uh, uh, you know, what I wanted my set to be on television it, it's a miracle being on tv is a miracle you know and uh, I, that was a, a jerry lewis quote he's like i don't call it tv i call it television because it's a miracle and and i felt i feel that way it, it is a miracle um and and so you know just kind of being a little snobbish about it i i waited i wanted hbo you know i felt like netflix you know, I remember having a dinner and, and one of my friends or someone I worked with before had gone to uh, work at Netflix. And, and 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 I think this is even before Robbie Pra got there, uh, who I knew from Montreal. And Netflix wanted to do a special with me, but HBO just seemed more selective. It, it just seemed like a like a a, a, a more specific pool. And I liked that. I liked that there weren't a lot. I, I just appreciated the the curation, or or at least by limited number, the the feeling of curation. Mm -hmm. Um, and I wanted that. And they had a deal with Funny or Die and uh, uh, to do a handful of specials, and uh, I got one of those. And so you know, um, uh, uh. That was that was it. That was like Nina came to see me in uh, L.A. She uh, at a show that um, went horribly because I didn't like the idea of auditioning for anything and just being a rebellious artist who's like trying new stuff and riffing and whatever. And then uh, she came to see another set that was more focused. Uh, and yeah, I got the special and and and. I think I've maintained a relationship with them by trying new things. Um, I'm very thankful for that partnership. I'm thankful for Nina. Um, and I've been working with like Amy and, and Casey and everyone there has been pretty open to my ideas, which is all you can ask for. Cause you're still asking for money to make a thing. And it is, you know, a gamble. And especially as my work gets more and more personal, cause it's like, it's starting with like, all right, a special with Spike Lee great right but then it's another thing to say hey can i ask for money to just take some cameras to north carolina and shoot something with my family it's like what are you doing you know and and my work started getting more personal and and a lot of my work even when i wasn't doing stand-up i made some documentaries with hbo that was me digging just excavating my past trying to grow trying to figure things out figuring it out with cameras a, a lot of what i'm doing now started then with Nina trusting me, with HBO trusting me, with money to go make something. And so it's been a good relationship. It's been, you know, really, really healthy. And I try and give them my best. I try and give them everything. Like I am like, get, I'm putting everything, like my work there, I'm really, really proud of. I'm really, really proud. And it's been a lot. And I've experimented with other comedians and um, with myself and made stuff that I, that excites me. <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah. How did you decide to sit for Othaniel? 
I was telling stories and it made sense. And Cosby sat and it started making sense. Some of his decisions started making sense to me as I got more personal. Uh, and not sitting on a stool. I wasn't trying to be cool. Um, me and Bo, Bo has a, a pejorative that he uh, throws at me when I slip back into old habits. He says, you're up there swagging out. Stop swagging out of there. <laughs> and, and it allows me to feel comfortable, but still alert. And, and it just felt right. I, I, I sat down and I was like, oh, this is how I want to tell stories. Um, Did that happen between that first show that Bo... So the first show Bo saw yeah. coming back was like... You're, I was standing you're, up at the comedy store. You're a million miles away. Yeah, in the and original. And the next one, you're closer. Are you sitting yet or not yet? The next one I sat. The next one at, at Flappers, I sat. Wow. And, and that changed a lot. Wow. It, it changed a lot. Um, just Isn't it funny how something as simple as deciding to sit or stand changes things? Yeah, yeah. It's all, but it, it's a lot of things that pushed me into that chair like like the weight of every story and what i needed to say and it, it just it all it all made sense it all made sense all the the influence all of it it just it started making sense i feel like the next special you're going to be laying on the floor <laughs> on the stage i'll be like <laughs> you i'll be like you barefoot <laughs> laid out <laughs> you're describing yourself to me as a comedian on television more than a stand-up comedian giving live shows i mean you don't go on tour you rarely go on tour you don't yeah. want to go on tour that's not your you're not aspiring to go on tour you're aspiring to make television yeah yeah because um it just makes sense for what i want to offer i want to offer a unique experience like every time and i don't if if I toured it, and sure I could do it for money, um, but it would affect the product. It would affect what I'm doing, and I think Chappelle does a great job of being a touring comedian, but keeping um, his television appearances unique uh, and and organic. And um, I, I do feel similar to him in in that way and that's different from how chris rock operates and chris always he he tells me you know like like oh this wouldn't work on tour like you know just about my set and he's right in in many ways i i, I could but it wouldn't be building toward a special when i when i do a lot of dates or uh a lot of consecutive shows they are just unique in their own way their, their yeah, and, own and you're working special. through the ideas and then once they're worked through there's nothing left to examine yes yes so it's more about the idea than uh, i'm crafting a, a a feeling or being in touch with a feeling more than i'm crafting a joke or finding the punchline uh and so it, it just it doesn't quite work in that way on tour um and and i would change for audiences in a way that i i think would compromise the what makes it unique on television that could change i'm not saying it like that's permanent there no, may no, be no. and i'm leaving now. room for that i'm not i'm not yeah. saying i'll never go on tour i may yeah. be inspired to do that but 
But as of now, for what I want to make, I, I have to work and I do a lot of shows to work. But I but the, you know, it, even when I do shows, it's a different thing every time is a different flyer every time a different name and a different thing that i'm focused on and that's the show and that's that show and i have to let that be that show and i have to move on what was the comedy that you remember watching on television growing up comic view comic view every night 10 o'clock bt um some deaf comedy jam Bill Cosby himself, Richard Pryor, live on the Sunset Strip, then live in concert. Kings of Comedy, Tommy Davidson, Ellen in Philly. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there, there are people that I just grew up loving. Don D.C. Curry, Cedric the Entertainer. Um. Was comedy your favorite thing to see on TV? Yes, yes. Shows. Um, uh, me and my mom have similar tastes in sitcoms, like we like like the Cosby Show and Everybody Loves Raymond and stuff like that. Um, we like more serious comedy, if that makes sense, like things that aren't too silly or absurd. I, uh -huh. I, 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 we laughed at things that probably weren't comedies. Um, probably the clearest stuff explanation of my sense of humor is that I think the movie Menace to Society is funnier than the parody movie Don't Be a Menace in South Central while drinking your juice in the hood, which takes elements of that. But like, I, I think that things played real in reality is, is funnier than, you know, telling like sometimes people are intentionally funny you know and 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 i can be intentionally funny but I, I just think you know life plays out funnier do you do you laugh a lot in life oh all the time oh yeah 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 i laugh and and before roth annual i was way funnier in my <laughs> in my real life the the i had been on stage because it was like filtered and i was trying to be provocative in certain ways and so and and i knew for the show that i would have to sacrifice certain laughs for certain points and i was okay with that but i was i, I do laugh a lot and, and my friends are very very funny um, oh but do you laugh a lot at things that might not be funny yeah the absurdity of certain things but but also just funny things you yeah, know and yeah. and i watch things uh me and bo love watching like roast me which is this all deaf digital show that has just a bunch of dudes in a room just roasting each other and it's so funny you know it's just funny i i love that um uh you know but but i'll, I'll say honestly my my tolerance for that is and not to sound pretentious like my tolerance but like I, I stop laughing when I can see you trying to tell me a joke. And so I, although I, I consume a high volume of comedy, I, I, a lot of it is critical when I watch. A lot of it is just like seeing the strings and, 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 and you know, uh, yeah, yeah, seeing the strings a lot and, you know, 
it just has to be tied to me it, it has to be tied to some type of consequence that define uh, for for it to be funny to me like consequence free humor especially if it if the humor is alluding to being dangerous if, if that danger isn't real in some way and you can't feel it then it just starts to lose it for me so like even in sitcom like everybody loves raymond you could tell it's just like rooted in some reality of a, a dynamic and that's funnier than like you know a space comedy <laughs> you know for, for me is comedy about things not making sense sometimes sometimes it's it's i i love uh things that lead to a lot of questions oh like, wait what <laughs> like what does that mean you know like i i love that um uh sometimes sometimes it's about tension sometimes it's about saying things uh and taking some leap um it, yeah it, it's different ways sometimes it's about yeah making sense of things so yeah when you did rothaniel do you think of it and it's i'll, I'll ask it in the most provocative way do you think of it as stand-up comedy Yes. Yes. I, I, I used to get or early on in it, I, I, uh, I would get angry with any criticism that it was something else or, or I, I looked at it being called something else as a dismissal because of course it is. It's a person on a stage for an hour or whatever amount of time speaking it is a one-man show there are elements probably of a traditional one-man show that i incorporate but it's still it's still the art form you know and and i, I think look i want to contribute to it i want it i want it to grow and i want it to not be defined so narrowly and i and i i i do it as i see it um uh so yeah it is it is for sure for sure um i think me and a lot of uh stand-up comedians do different things i think that's okay you know but but it is stand-up i feel like the um the label just to me the labels just make it smaller it's like you can use it to organize a genre. Uh, and uh, for some reason, I think of it as the label making it smaller. Like, like, um, is it, it's like if, if a comedian gets on stage and does an hour and doesn't tell any jokes and nobody laughs, is it stand-up comedy? I don't know. Yeah, I don't but know. Now, I don't now, know. Now the I other side of it is though, if you don't, if you take the label away, was that a compelling performance? And do you want to see that? Are you excited by it? Do you like the diff, you know the fact that it's different? And then the, the laughs may come. May, I mean, it's like what's what's interesting about the Dice album, the day the laughter died, is that like 
is that it, it what is it in the what it is in the room is different than what it is on record yeah the tension of the people not laughing is funny now is the, so it's funny. part of the show so he gets Absolutely. credits for playing that show in a way that's interesting you, you captured an interesting funny thing it is funny yeah just it, it, it there 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 are multiple ways in um and and it shouldn't be the same thing over and over yeah, it can't be. It, it can't it, be. It'll not, die. It, yeah, it's it will not die. And I see stand-up comedy sometimes, and and I mean, not to sound gross, but it just seems dead sometimes. I'm like, it just feels so dead, and I, I don't want to shoot it. Like, you know, I want to, I want to like, I want to feel alive, and I, and I want the art form to be alive. When did you originally fall in love with reading? Mr. Nyeri, my eighth grade teacher, who I didn't want because he was loud. I, I, in seventh grade, he had the classroom next door to me, and I didn't want him. I was like, anybody but him. Of course I get him. I asked my mom if I could switch teachers. Didn't want anything to do with it. Like anything that starts like that, of course, he's a teacher that changed my life. And, <laughs> and got me to read the autobiography of Malcolm X, which was huge. And two newspaper articles every day. It, that was a requirement for his class. You had to read and be informed. And two things that you, not special interest, not your, you know, wouldn't let the boys read from the sports section or anything. Like something that you didn't know anything about. And so like, you know, the finance section or some, the world section. Find something interesting. Find something interesting read two articles you had to write about it every day and so that that began me reading just like the habit of of reading and and, and it's um you know a habit that i i i picked up off and on and there were years when i was probably only reading wikipedia page entry, entries and, and, and but uh then you know uh later in life or even more recently was working uh, with uh, Scott Rudin on something and he sent me a novel and uh, I never really read uh, fiction and that picked up like it picked up again I was like very very interested in reading and then I uh, the bought the the George Saunders book uh, Swim in the Pond in the Rain just with a collection of Russian short stories. And that changed storytelling for me. Like, like that was huge for me. It's a great class in a book. And, and it, it's, it's just incredible. And, and I, I'd never told stories before then. And like a lot of changes in my life and therapy and that book. And like, it's one of the things that really pushed me to, to understand stories and tell them. Uh, and when was that recently, a couple years ago, but, but like as far as storytelling, but I, I've been reading and that, that book was just one that I grabbed. And then that changed the direction of like, you know, of, of uh, the types of books that I wanted to read. Um, and now my boyfriend is a writer and, and, 
I mean, he reads so much and I feel so far behind <laughs> and it's exciting because he has me reading things that I, I never would have picked up and things that excite me. And, and, and sometimes we read together and, and sometimes he reads to me and, and it's, um, uh, uh, it's been very important to me. The George Sanders story is interesting in that you didn't read it looking for you didn't read it looking for information to help your work. You just randomly picked it up. Yeah. You read it and it changed your whole approach to what you do. Completely. Completely. Because I didn't know it, what a story amazing. was. I didn't, I didn't know what the requirement of a story was. Like, what, it, what, what do people look for? And I usually didn't tell them. I, I would give, uh, you know, facts about an event, but then mostly commentary. I, I would give commentary. My whole life was just like, oh, a fight happened at school. This is where I was. <laughs> you know, this is how I felt. Yeah. But just like, like that, that told me, you know, what to look for and where you could look and, and that a story can come in different forms and that it's not always like neat. And, and send me a link to that book when we're done. For sure. I'd love to, I'd love to see that. I love it. And it's a, re, it's, it, He's released another book since then, but it, it's uh, the book before his most recent one, and it's incredible. And he gives lessons on the story in the book, so it's uh, a lot of um, like Tolstoy, Tolstoy, or, or just all these Russian authors. I think there are seven, um, and he, you know, he's a teacher in Syracuse, a uh, professor in Syracuse. And uh, he basically gives a class in the book, and I'm so thankful for it. Even without the class, even the 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 collection of the stories themselves, even because at first I wasn't even reading his lessons on it. I was just read. It was a good excuse to read the stories, and it just game changing for me. That sounds great. Yeah, yeah. Do you um? Do you think you're more inspired by? comedy or music or movies or reading or something else i get really obsessed with a thing and it kind of becomes all i can talk about or reference and it could be it's different things sometimes it's centered on a person like recently it was all things jfk just obsessed with what started that I, I've always kind of had an obsession with him and like uh, my boyfriend really put me put into context like the importance of Camelot or the idea of JFK on culture now and, and how it all kind of began with like, you know, the idea of him and Jackie and, you know, our cultural obsession with his life and how it was documented and how, you know, how it ended and then the secrets and how, you know, all those things coming out. So you kind of learn about a person. And, and I was always obsessed with his, in many ways, like the duality of him, like him and Martin Luther King, just obsessed as much with the, the secrets of their lives and the affairs and, and, you know, JFK's pills or Martin Luther King's suicide attempts and these things that are kind of buried um, and the idea of their lives. And so I, I, I've always been um, interested in things with the 
like the cur- like peeking behind the curtain and it's well, probably it's my, also getting, with my father I but think. it's also getting back to closer to authenticity and the truth not just the surface narrative mm-hmm. that's presented but the the real story is much more interesting yeah yeah and i saw that reflected in myself keeping a secret and feeling like i'm kind of that and 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 my father who I knew about his secrets early on and seeing how he was received in the world and, you know, weighing that against the things that I knew. So always like obsession with secrets and, 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 and lives like that. So being obsessed with JFK means that I'm watching the Oliver Stone documentary. Uh, uh, um, and then my boyfriend buys me the book, the, um, the Lee Harvey Oswald, uh, 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 Frank, uh, DeLeo, uh, is it Frank DeLeo? I don't think so. No, um, I can't the remember the DeLeo book on. Oh, I haven't read yet, yeah. but uh, and 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 uh, there's a, a documentary called Primary that follows JFK through the Wisconsin primaries, and like it's just incredible. And so I'm watching that, and I'm just just like just it, 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 I, uh, then I go to Ireland, <laughs> you know, and I stay in the hotel that he stayed in in, in Ireland, and 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 um. Uh, you know, just feeling real connected to him. And that may play out when, when I was with you in Italy, I was Julius Caesar. Wow. <laughs> I was great. just obsessed with Caesar and reading things, Caesar and reading things, Michelangelo too. And like obsessed with these people. And that kind of leads me there, like leads me to, to Rome. And, and, and I just find these obsessions. And so obsessions like that kind of play out in my life um, in art around those things someone recommends a movie or someone recommend you know like like you know i'm constantly obsessed with jesus christ so that that could mean the bible or scorsese and willem dafoe (laughs) you know it it just it just do you ever see bad boy bubby you recommended did you watch bad boy bubby is incredible the opening of bad boy bubby before he leaves the house is terrifying terrifying it's it's such a feeling yeah it it, yeah it is i remember a friend of mine brought me to see that movie and in those first five or ten minutes whatever it was i just said to him like why did you bring me to this why am i seeing yes yes i don't want to see this believe it you can't believe it yeah Yeah, then what it turns into is so interesting yes well it has you it's telling such such an audacious story in such a truthful way because there's one thing to be audacious and then you know capturing it absurdly to to save it to you know and and then that that wouldn't have been as effective this is like just played out as true the the reality of his life and that's so interesting and i yeah i the the, the movie has you um have you ever seen Julia DeCarnell's Raw? Um, uh, Bo was obsessed with that movie, and then I watched it, and 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 yeah, I mean, again, it's it's a story that could be in in less capable hands would just you'd be able to dismiss it as like a you know some gruesome tale, but because it's treated so honestly you know, and delicately, it, it's just, it's, it's, it's fascinating. I have a hard time watching, uh, unpleasant stuff. Like, I don't want to feel that way. Same, you know? same, same. I like watching 
I want to feel peace. But that's why capable hands can take you to true. unpleasant places. That's I true. mean, you look at Quentin Tarantino. Incredible. You know, uh, what makes his, his him brilliant is that he finds these interesting, tense moments in in very unpleasant stories. Mm-hmm. And you laugh yeah. and you feel and you can be carried through this gruesomeness. Also and, like a, a campiness about it that makes it okay. Yeah, a little bit safer. Yeah, it feels like it's done with a wink in some way. Yes, yes. Which is funny, because I wouldn't think I would like that, but I really do. Well, because the way he, does he does, I mean, uh, you know, it, it's balance, right? Because, and and you take, like, Django. That That's such a feat. Like, anytime people talk about, like, what you can and you can't do, I'm like, there's a white man who's so good that, he has the funniest slave movie (laughs) you know and like and it's something that like you know a black filmmaker should have made a black filmmaker should have made uh uh Django right because you know black people are hilarious but like a lot of times you know it's treated so delicately and uh uh that it it you know too much respect it's too much respect yeah it's not and 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 Django's hilarious and true and true like it you know played so realistically and and it's horrible and disgusting conditions and then moments of levity and moments where it's like you know who's that thing on that horse or you know just these very funny moments and and uh yeah yeah you can do anything <laughs> you know, you could do it. Was was social media already a thing when you were coming up? Already doing comedy? Um, it was beginning. It was uh, I started in the uh in the Dane Cook boom. Dane Cook hit you know made millions, and and so that meant that when you signed up for the open mic at the Improv, they had a space. I, I remember you have your name and it would say myspace.com slash for you to fill in your MySpace. This is 2008. And, you know, it was always that expectation of, of, of um, when I came up. Uh, it was the beginning of that. Um, and you know, uh, I hadn't met Bo yet, but he was, uh, you know, made his living from YouTube. And there were examples of that happening and, and comedy was, was shifting in that way. And and honestly, if I waited maybe two years, I might be a different comedian because I might have, um, I might have stayed home and um, I was already making videos with my friends. And it's funny because I see uh, in, in some like young comedians that make content maybe for YouTube or, or Instagram or TikTok, I, I see myself and things that I made just not for the internet, but just recorded on my camcorder. I'm like, oh yeah, we made sketches like that. And then in that way, and the, the, impro- the, the improvising you have to do when you're at home and your resources are just your family and your friends in the neighborhood. And, and I might've been a different comedian two years later yeah but um i'm glad i came in when i did because i also came up on stages so it is true to me to to perform in that way uh but 
Uh, yeah, it, it it was big. I, I kind of rebelled against it because I I just I was like, I'm doing live performance. I just want to make that my thing, and and um, I didn't want to service like two masters. Like yeah. if I'm like would be a distraction. Well, if I'm filming myself then let's do it for real. Like, I, I don't want to just have, like, I was precious with, when the Laugh Factor um, started a YouTube channel, they would just put comedians' videos up there, and I hated that. I used to get mad. I would call the office until, like, I saw it was getting, like, good comments or something. I'd be like, okay, you can keep it up. But I, I would get mad because I was very precious about it. I was like, if I'm going to film this, then I'm going to film it. I don't want to half do it. I don't want to kind of do it. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't film sets. I didn't post things. I still don't have a website. A friend asked me the other night if I had a website. <laughs> I was like, oh no, I don't, I still don't. And I should, I'm, I'm probably, I've taken it probably too far, but I, I just don't want to service it. So I don't think about it. Yeah. When you were coming up, did you see any comedians that just blew your mind? Well, my first thought is Angelo Bowers, who uh, was a comedian from Modesto. I was talking about him earlier today. He's a comedian from Modesto who dropped out of college, moved to L.A., was young, around my age. And he worked so hard. How hard he worked inspired me because he did a, a new set all the time. Uh, sometimes he would bomb. And that was as interesting as watching him kill. Like it was because he worked so hard and it was new and you could could see that he was trying. And he, I mean, Angelo was so strange. I loved it. He would, in LA, he would sit on the subway all day and write jokes in the subway because he didn't have cell phone service down there and he didn't want to be distracted. Or he would go to the borders on Sunset and Vine and just work all day. So I started going to the Barnes and Noble at the Grove and we called it our office and we respected each other's office. That's he would great. text me if he was going to the Grove. He's like, hey, I'm going to be at your office today. If you, you know, I wanted to give you your space. Like, he, he, and, and, and we worked really hard and we became uh, like, uh, like a duo in the open mic scene in, in a way. Like it was like Gerard and Angelo. Like we, we rose really, really fast because we both worked really really hard we dedicated our lives to it um um we did nothing else we had no no normal life like you know i remember mocking a comedian who asked another comedian where a hookah bar was i was like what are you doing you haven't made it You're like smoking hookah <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> like i occasionally went to the movies and angelo took saturdays off so i took saturdays off too like and i kind of followed his schedule tell me about tell me about Barnes and Noble is your office. What what the experience was like? That was where I would go and read. Yeah, I would read, um, and just write. I would just write, and I was writing more just traditional jokes at the time. But it was being fed by a lot of books, just just things like I wouldn't normally read biographies of people I didn't know about, or or um, you know, I would go into the self help section because I. The, would normally mock those things so i would read it and um uh magazines and, and and just read things and then write and it was it was where you could find me you know I wake up go on a walk hit the barnes and noble read 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 write 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 
go to an open mic and perform. Um, and it became so much my office that my first audition was for this TV show called New Girl on Fox. And I just got managers and they were like, you should go on auditions. And I figured I'd go to learn. Uh, I was like, oh, I'll learn how to, how to uh, audition or whatever. And I was like, but, but I told him at the beginning, I was like, yeah, I'll do it just for the sake of learning. But, it, you know, I don't, I don't want the, the part. And they said, yeah, yeah, okay, do the audition. I did it. They liked me. They called me back again. I said, okay, well, look, I'll go to this callback. But for the experience of knowing what a callback is, I don't want to do this TV show. They said, yeah, yeah, okay, go back. I do it. Now, all of a sudden, I'm getting calls from a lawyer. My manager's like, I'm connecting you with this lawyer. He's going over your, your contract. You have an offer. They're offering me this part for a show. And I'm like, I don't want this. One of the the guys that was on the show, Max Greenfield, I, I know he has to remember this. He like like I turned it down. He came to the Barnes and Noble. He brought this comedian, Kevin Christie, uh, uh, <laughs> to Barnes and Noble, and they they were having an intervention with me, like just like like at the Barnes and Noble, just being like, "Hey, what you're doing is crazy. You're turning down like." Forget the money. I mean, they were talking more. I'm sleeping on a couch at this point. I'm sleeping on this woman, Lisa's couch. I, I, they're saying, I mean, maybe like I could have made half a million dollars or some, some crazy amount of money from zero dollars to half a billion dollars, like by signing. And I just didn't want the part. I didn't see it as part of what I wanted to do. And they're at the bars and I will be like, you're crazy. You're crazy. And I was like, I know. Thank you. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, they, they came to my office to, <laughs> to try to convince me to do New Girl. Um, uh, but I wanted to just sit there and read and write. And I had an open mic that night, I remember. I was starting to get shows. <laughs> did, the, did the fact that there were other people in the Barnes & Noble, was that part of it too? Was it the fact that there were people coming and going or was oh, it just definitely you some in people the watching it was definitely some people watching but always you know but and that was walking around la was such a new experience for me and especially being a southern boy and and moving out it's the first place i lived um outside of home and so everywhere just walking up and down sunset walking around hollywood that was always my domain somewhere between highland and la cienega and and somewhere between third street in hollywood it was just all mine and just walking around and seeing all the 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 uh, you know ahs ads and the billboards and the the homeless people and the transients and drug addicts and the wildness of the, those streets just seeing it all played out um was was so new to me and 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 magical in a way and a lot of my earlier comedy re reflected that just the things that i was seeing like you know wrote a lot about homeless people because i'm walking amongst them you know and i'm kind of homeless myself and writing a lot about wealth and and and, and poverty and and it was aspirational because it was just the reality of my experience it was every day just walking and i walked every i didn't have a car in la i was just walking everywhere or catching the bus and just sitting in bookstores and writing and, and, and that couldn't sustain, look, that was great work ethic, but even, um, even that I needed to live life and experience the, the rises and crashes of relationships to even have 
anything to say and explore even my past to even have something deeper to say. But at that time it served me well. It was, it was, it was, it was the army. It was college. It was, um, just work, 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 complete focus and dedication, no distractions. I didn't go home. I just worked. What was the difference in the things that you noticed that were different about where you came from versus when you came to LA, the first things you noticed of like, what's different? Um, it's weird because it, you know, where I'm from, I lived in Morningside and it was me and people like me. And that was it. And, and being in a small town, you live in these, bubbles and you it, my my whole existence took place basically in Morningside and uh you know we had a uh, I had a black principal and we went to the black dentist and the black pediatrician and uh lived in this bubble would there have been a Barnes and Noble there no there was no Barnes and Noble in what Morningside. would there like tell me what the, I, what, I did, actually, what was Main Street I actually can't even tell you a bookstore oh damn I hate that I, I couldn't I couldn't tell you a bookstore. There but, might not have been one in a small uh, town. Yeah, not that I know of. There there was there were libraries and things, but it just wasn't, you know, we really just read the Bible. Um but it was the things of that neighborhood. There was a food lion, then they built a new food lion, and there was a family dollar, and uh my grandma lived on Pleasant Street and I lived on the street right off of that, Marble Street. And my aunts lived around the corner. Um, and uh, uh, you could walk or bike everywhere. You, I could ride my bike most places in the hood. My school, my uh, elementary school, Forest Park. My grandma was a cafeteria lady there. And so my mom would drop me off at her house in the morning. Uh, and like I'd wake up at five and then we'd go to school with my grandma. And like uh, it was all, all in the neighborhood. How many kids in your school? My elementary school was pretty big. Um, uh, I want to say it was around a thousand kids, but it was just all black kids, the black kids, the Mexican kids. I think there was, there was a few white teachers and a couple white students here or there. Um, and then my middle school also like same thing, just mostly black teachers and, and uh, black kids. And then and then my high school was a different world because it was black and white. And it was like 50-50. And that was like a completely different experience for me. Um, and uh, Good or bad? Good. Well, it taught me a lot um, because I, I, I'll tell the really short version of the story. I, I experienced a different type of freedom than I, I had before. Um, and I went to this uh, mixed high school in ninth grade. And then in 10th grade, my friends were going to Parkland. Um, high school um, uh, was like the black school and named after the hospital that Kennedy uh, died in. And uh, I went cause all my friends were going. And so I went for four days um, and it was a crazy four days because I forgot how I was treated. It, 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 it like, like kind of looked at suspiciously. I remember the things that I hated were there being a chain outside of the cafeteria for uh, that no student could cross. And at Glenn, the, the mixed high school, 
kids just left all the time. We went to Burger King for lunch. We drove around, like you caught a ride to McDonald's or whatever. And, and you had more freedom. It was kind of like a college campus and here it was more like a prison. But do you think it was the age that you were or the fact that it was mixed? I think it was the fact that it was mixed because, you know, it was just more trust. It was just more freedom. I felt that I saw that I had, a truancy officer once, we, again, we would sneak to go to Burger King. And you weren't supposed to leave campus, but it was just an understood fact that students did and whatever. And I remember sneaking to my car to go to Burger King, me and some friends, and uh, uh, like driving out and then being cut off by the sheriff's car. The officer got out, it was this black officer. And he was like, he was like, you know why I stopped you? And I was like, I was like, why? Because we're going to Burger King? He was like, Nah, he said, you see those white girls over there? They're going to Burger King too, but y'all look suspicious about it. <laughs> He's like, y'all sneaking around in the parking lot. Of course I'm going to stop you. He's like, if you're going to go, just go. <laughs> and so it was like, it was a big lesson learned, but that was a, a, a huge thing for me just at, at Glenn. So that's why I left Parkland after four days. I, I got my transfer. After I saw that chain, I was like, oh, no, no, I'm going back to Glenn where I'm free. And like, you know, and, and it was an interesting experiment because it's like have people from my hood in Morningside and have like, you know, kind of suburban or rural white kids. And sometimes we got along. Sometimes there were fights and race related fights. And but, but it, it, I learned a lot. But I said all that to say that that was my first experience of clashing of cultures and clashing of, you know, money and no money. And L.A. was so much of that. It's so much of a, a, a Lamborghini zooming past a homeless man or my first time downtown. It's just crazy because, you know, there's new restaurants with, you know, Christmas lights next to heroin addicts. And it was just wild. And just seeing all of that happening and playing out on the streets, you know, I, I knew crackheads and, and I saw violence uh, in my hood, but it was separate than the, the, the from the money. You know, in New York, the same type of craziness, just like wealth and poverty played out next to each other. It's just wild. Um, and, and so L.A. was just, you know, it was Disney World. It was just Disney to me. It was all absurd. It was all crazy. It's, you know, um, uh, uh, so I had a lot to write about. Sounds great. Yeah, it was exciting. Great adventure. Very, very exciting. Yeah. I remember the first time I came to L.A. Um, I think the first time I came to L.A. was with the Beastie Boys. And it really? was really fun. Just had a really fun experience. This is fresh from the dorm? This is like yeah. fresh from... Probably still living in the dorm. Really? Yeah. Super fun. Yeah. Super fun. Um, do you remember your dreams? I always had dreams that i had specific dreams that i knew if i achieved that it meant a whole lot of other things for for instance i wanted to be michael jackson's comedian friend <laughs> like i was like oh okay the way eddie murphy was and then chris tucker was i'm gonna be michael jackson's comedian friend then he died within a year of me moving to la and i was devastated i was like where's my dream <laughs> like, that was part of my that was one of my because i knew if i was that then that probably meant success in so many other ways and 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 
Yeah, I had like I, I, always really specific goals. You know, um, uh, my first special was a goal. I wanted I wanted a special on HBO and I wanted a show on NBC. I remember those being goals. Uh, I I I, I uh, you know a special on HBO because that's where the cool people had specials and NBC because it's where Cosby and Seinfeld had shows and and it seemed like the right time because I was like oh okay it's been a while since like a, like they had like a comedy like a like a, a really personal specific you know uh interesting comedy on NBC and I can be the one that do that I, you know and I, I remember reading the Jerry Seinfeld said that it was his intention to save NBC because he saw that Bill Cosby said it. So I kind of set the same intention. You're in the lineage. Yeah, I felt like, oh, okay, I'll be in that lineage. And, yeah. you know, I knew I could only do it by, you know, bringing some of my life to it. And that's how I made the show. And I didn't do it, but I, it was a goal. I was like, oh, that'd be nice to just, it wasn't to save, but just to, Make a good show for NBC. I wanted to make the best show for yeah, NBC. I understand that. Like, I, I know that w in the music world, if you could, you know, see something that you made come out on the same label as Led Zeppelin or mm -hmm. Bob Dylan, it's like, it's a big deal that you can't believe. It's like, wow, our look, our, our labels same look the imprint. same. It's like, yes. that's so cool. Yeah. That, that sense of history sense of history and and a, a, a responsibility because again i do love it and i i anything that i do i've been a student of and and a, a deeply immersed fan of and and so like i want it to be as good as the things that are good <laughs> you know i it, it and and so you feel this responsibility to uphold that you know yeah I like that. Yeah, I uh, I love hearing you say that. I mean, I, I, I'm we have that in common. This mm -hmm. desire to make great things at all, what, whatever it takes, like whatever it takes for it to be great. Otherwise, why make it? Why make it? But that's why. That's like going back to like live things and the Globes or SNL. It's like, all right, like it's just such a miracle to go live in front of millions of people. Yeah, that's like a chance you have a chance when did you get asked to do snl i got asked to do snl someone from snl saw me maybe a couple weeks before filming rothaniel so i got asked to do it based off they they saw like the sets i was doing at at city winery and uh and and so that's why i i i I got SNL the night before Rothaniel came out. So like I, I did SNL April 1st, Rothaniel came out April 2nd. Wow. Uh just based off that the sets leading up to it. Um and I wanted Rothaniel to be its own thing. And so it was like kind of, you know, I didn't want to distract from it, but I wanted to promote it. And so just wanting to make SNL a unique thing and rise to the occasion of it. And, how was the experience? It was good. It was good. The monologue I, I didn't have until, honestly, I was still working on it at dress rehearsal. 
and then did it live. But again, the excitement of live, I kind of needed it for that to even settle. Same thing with the Globes. It's uh, I'm playing a spiritual game of musical chairs, testing everything, seeing if it's true, seeing if, it, seeing if it's right. You know, sometimes I feel the the urge to be chaotic, and and I'm like, what is that? I have to question that. I have to question it. And does it have to do with what's going on inside yourself or the environment? What do you What do you feed? What's the feedback loop? My place in it. Where do I belong here? Why Why am I here? What is the experience for somebody watching it? Even seeing me, like in SNL, like I'm just like I know this has to be wild because I I I I did SNL. I'm hosting SNL coming off of nothing yeah <laughs> you know so i if you're watching snl's for the middle of the country you know I, I hadn't had a special out in four years i made some small documentaries like produced a couple things but very quiet up until then so it's fun to to kind of see it as an audience member and go oh some people are like well who is this and so I'm Probably kind of most. explaining myself. Most. Probably most. Yeah, 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 most. So I'm like, you know, that's an exciting position to be in. I know I'm in that position. How do I speak to it? How do I make it, you know, this live experience uh, worthwhile? Just trying to figure that out. And that that takes being live to feel. You kind of have to feel it in that moment. Um. Because otherwise it would be performance. It would be performance. And my performance is the truth of where I am in that moment. That is my performance. So I have to connect with it. Yeah, I remember seeing that. Uh, I haven't watched SNL for a very long time. and I don't find it funny anymore. Mm, yeah. But your monologue was like, whoa, <laughs> SNL yeah. could be good. Because I was a little mad, I was a little angry that I had to even talk about it. That was true. I was just a little like, and uh, and I was excited to be there. All these things are true. I was excited and felt pushed into it, and then wanted to rebel against that. And and so it was just not to beat the reference to death, but it is this game of musical chairs that's yeah. happening right up until it's live with no delay so interesting that that um that tightrope walk aspect of comedy and i guess it's always that way when you're getting up in front of a bunch of people strangers um yeah it's yeah a, it's a hectic idea yeah yeah and and i i had to over time like even re-examine that my relationship with the audience um so uh <laughs> i got i got people hitting me about rothaniel mostly by people who didn't know we were friends yeah and it was like have you seen this thing you have to see this thing this is the greatest thing i've ever seen like this is this is it huh. and then i have other friends who are comedians who are just like what is he doing it's like what is that that's yeah. like that's why would he put that out? Yeah, yeah. You know, like just like the yeah. so you get to see these like the poles of people who are going in with no expectations being blown away. Mm -hmm. And then the people who have some sense of authority because they're experts in this. Yeah. Seeing it as 
Well, that's not what we do. Yeah, yeah. Which which is a response that I I gotten um kind of used to. I think comedians uh, probably uh, as a community. I don't want to label all because I I do think that I receive a lot of love uh, from the community. It, it took me a while to realize that, but I, I think it's received with some you know quite it's just it feels like i release jesus every time <laughs> like, like t- two comics i like just kept releasing jesus and they're like what is that or 808s or something that people are just like what <laughs> like every time yeah. which i've learned to take as a, a good sign you know it's times that it's hurt and hurt my feelings before um but but I know that's that's part of it. If if I want to do something different, and I know I know that that's not always just received with just hugs, <laughs> you know, like yeah. and 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 that's just that's part of it. That's you know, um, uh, 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 you kind of have to be hated to be the favorite. Yeah, it's it, one of the things I say in the book is that if everybody likes it. You're not going hard enough. Yeah, yeah, it's just not. And I know that. And it doesn't mean that it feels I- I- any better. It doesn't feel good to not. No. Be, but the, the thing that I think I uh, got maybe angry with or, or the thing that I, if I were to explain anything, because I, I don't think it should be explained or, 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 or ever you know, but I, I would say that Rothaniel is a feat only because I was really afraid to say the things that I was saying. I, I, I the danger was in me walking on stage. That's why, and 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 Bo really distilled that in the intro, like. The, the walk to the stage is very important in, in Rothaniel because I, I had reluctance. I had a lot of fear and it was hard. It, it was hard. And so like, I, I, I couldn't fake that. Um, you know, I tried to be brave enough to do it in my own life uh, i'm not even saying like oh it's so brave uh, yeah. coming out i was scared rather like you might be scared about something else yeah like like whatever you're afraid about i yeah. i was and a lot of rothaniel is to my mother it, it, and so it, you know i'm saying the thing i i didn't want to say to the person whose reaction scares me the most and you know i, I think if it's interesting it's because of that has she watched it yes has she told you any has she said anything uh yes it's almost like uh you know she kind of blocked out the parts of it that and i i get that because it was hard for me to say it so i know it must have been hard for her to hear some of it but uh the initial call and subsequent calls largely ignore a, a lot of the parts about me uh, 
feeling ignored ironically enough so 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 and 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 look it came with consequences like you know uh relationships that are still being repaired because of it i was just in dillon south carolina talking to my uncle joe about it and, and my cousin about it and they saw it and we talked about because it it's personal it's, it's my family and it's me and it's you know um and, and so the one thing you know that i would say uh to to comedians is that it it was very scary to me and it's like i could say i spent my career saying all the dangerous stuff all the things you can't say about uh you know different races or sexuality even i've talked about gay people and trans people in, in my act before you know i got booed at the greek talking about the me too movement in its infancy you know all the dangerous things i did all the dangerous things and that wasn't truly dangerous i i knew that i i, I at least for me it didn't feel truly dangerous and, and and but there were things in my life that i was afraid to say and I the said that thing. The difference is in the other, you were touching societal hot buttons. Yeah. And in this one, you're touching personal hot yes, buttons. Yes, yes. Oh, that that was way scarier. Way scarier. Well, I could say something about... The uh, personal hot buttons feel like life and death. Yes. Yes. I'm talking to my mother in front of God, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And HBO. And HBO. <laughs> <laughs> you know, God. Yes. Um, no, no, but, but but it was scary to me. That's all I can say about it is yeah. that I, I did a thing that was yeah. uh, frightening. I think that's why it's so compelling and real that the emotion is palpable and it's real and it's not acting and we don't get to see real emotion so often on television. We get to see people acting emotion. Yeah. But we don't get to see real stakes, real personal, whether it's real love or real fear or real um, anything. It's all facade. It's all mm. performance. It's all fake. And this was not fake. Yeah, yeah, it, it was. It was. I don't know. I, I, I've dedicated my life to this, so I, I, I have to give all of it. And, and yeah, it, it makes the reward odd. I'll, I'll tell you though, because it, it doesn't. You know, it, it, it was funny because it was a pr probably the highest that felt and the lowest that been almost at the same time. Um, it's odd. It's odd. I've, I've, I'm so happy for its success and I'm terrified to talk to my family and, you know, still like kind of healing those wounds. Um, I'm very happy I made it, but, it, 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 you know, 
that's the thing with if you really go there in art it is life and death and all consuming and it's um the stakes are high yeah the stakes are high yeah. now they may not be high for everybody but well, they're that, high for you well, well that's the thing I, I also it doesn't change anyone else's life well also where i was would maybe get offended by a comedian you know uh who may have had some negative thing i'm like i've never done the same thing as the other comedians anyway i'm like like <laughs> like like you know our differences lie across the board, you know. So I, I you know, I, I think the attention that it got attracted, you know, a lot of podcast commentary, I guess. But I, again, I, I do expect it. I, I do expect it. I'm not even trying to sound cool about it, but because it, it, it still isn't the most comfortable thing. But I, I do it. I, I, you know, you wouldn't take it back. No, <laughs> oh God, no. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's like yeah, you, yeah, yeah, God, yeah, no, you, yeah. You, you, you committed to it, and you're proud that you committed to it. Yes. And whatever happens after that, that's out of our control. After, yeah, yeah, and you kind of, uh, uh, you know, just kind of let, you know, time is gonna play things out how yeah. it plays. And people's out. reactions usually have more to do with who they are and where they are than anything about what you're saying yes you yes. what you're saying triggers something in them about their life that they have to confront yeah 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 i yeah i, I think some comedians may have received it as an indictment of their own work you know um i would say after watching that it would be hard to watch someone standing on stage telling jokes and take it very seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, again, it's like, it also, that also be could great, be the move. That could be yeah. the move. <laughs> that like, could like, be a great, like, I'm like, like, even me, like, like I almost could be inclined to just completely rebel against Rothaniel and go like, all right, my next one's, all one-liners yeah <laughs> like and, uh -huh. and and like you know it's not true to where i'm at or what i yeah. find interesting but it's right? in, but it's an interesting idea it's an interesting like, idea conceptually yeah. it's like okay that was then and now we're gonna do now some, maybe some something new totally and i do have to be open to that i, I can't oh, absolutely just stay in the pocket because i don't uh -huh. want to say and i'm not there i'm not in the same i was in a really low place when i made rothaniel and and it was trying to see light or make something of it um, I'm not in that space anymore. And if I recorded a special tomorrow, it would be totally different already. Um, uh, and so I have to be true to that. And, and I still enjoy, you know, if done great, you know, I can enjoy a joke as much as the next guy. <laughs> you know, I still love a good joke. <laughs> still tell just tell some jokes. I told some jokes at the Globes, you know, you know, some people did find all of them very funny, but I, I, told, I told, tell me what were some of the Globe jokes? Oh, the Globe jokes. Well, I mean, I had things that were, uh, uh, <laughs> I said, uh, 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 they asked me, they came to my dressing room and asked me to, uh, shout out, uh, 
the hotel they wanted me to like you have to say something about the beverly hilton so i was, i went on stage and said hi everybody they wanted me to shout out the hotel so here we are live from the place that killed whitney houston <laughs> that's funny that's funny to me it's like do you not think of the beverly hilton as the hotel that killed whitney houston like it's the first thing i think of as soon as i walk in the building i'm like what's the room number i want to see it I, i'm obs- i'm infatuated with it and and so i thought that was funny um uh the audience didn't really respond to that so so they groaned you know (laughs) you know but that makes it worthwhile a little bit you know that's me being a real comedian i i I did a you know i i i should say it because i don't want to say it now so that means it's something Mm -hmm. there but like the you know i did a, a little joke about will uh, uh because it's like the first award major award show since the oscars so you know obviously i, I have to chime in on it and i didn't want to do it in the monologue so i did a little joke through the ceremony there they got some groans and i i, I yeah it's it's uh, yeah I'll, 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 you know i did jokes that I, that i had written that i thought were funny i'm like oh this is funny <laughs> And it was the occasion for it, you know, and then I said it and, you know, I did my, my little uh, provocative jokes. But, you know, it's not the same as the monologue. The monologue meant something to me and the jokes I didn't have to tell. I didn't need to tell them. But if the situation they asked you back, it. would you do it again? My friend Ari said that I should say yes. And he always has a. No, 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 no. He says that about like if they ask me to do like the Oscars, he's like, you should do it, you know. Just but but I I I don't think I would do the Globes again because I did it. it, The same reason I I couldn't see myself doing SNL again because I I did it and I really did it, you know. Like I really gave it my all. Like there's no yeah there's no mountain to climb no there. no You've no there's that. no reason I, and i came that. at a really unique time and mm-hmm. and and i spoke about it in the most honest way that i could and it's over i i i, I wouldn't want to do it again and and there could be i i, I only pause because yeah it it depends you on where know. i'm at like you i never, never know. know it could be something pressing and it could be like it was last year where there's a confluence of things that make me motivated to do it. But, but just to do it again, no, I, I, I wouldn't want to. Mm-hmm. Anything else you feel like we, we missed? I don't know. I, I feel like we, I feel like we talk, I feel like we sound like us, not on a podcast. That yeah, feels good. Normal. Yeah. Normal conversation. What was the music in your house growing up? A lot of gospel my mom my mom for the most part only listens to gospel with some Whitney Houston sprinkled in and maybe some Elton John uh my dad listened to the radio a lot growing up so it was a lot of that and then I remember uh two huge things were like in eighth grade I like discovered Stevie Wonder game changing got the at the close of the century box set and just listened to all of those and was like oh oh he's god uh, like like having that and a brother who uh introduced me to jay-z 
I have a big brother who's eight years older than me and he had great taste. So I had great taste by proxy and he's the guy you want to introduce you to an artist because it's it's how I play Jay-Z for my boyfriend. It's like like with a lot of pauses, like, did you hear what he said? And you talk it out. Yeah. And, and Jay-Z's so conversational and so witty that we kind of, you know, we memorize all of his lyrics and kind of speak in Jay-Z. There's always a verse for everything. And and uh, Joe loved he he bought the priority records reasonable doubt remember he had that cassette mm -hmm. um with the original dead presidents and like just loved them in, in in north carolina you know um and and at a time when everyone was on cash money and and no limit and and you know the south had its own thing joe was just like su such a big j fan and it influenced me hugely hugely and and when I finally got to introduce my brother to Jay, Jay was like, hey, thank you. He said thank you to my brother, which Jay's so smart. He knows how to make a moment everyone will remember forever. <laughs> and he said said thank you uh, for him, you yeah. know, like in his dressing room before a show. Um, and, and Jay just being so witty and so important to uh to me and in, in my view of the world i learned so much about the, the world the from authenticity in what he's saying it's unbelievable well he's a big uh um influence in, in, in that way in the way that jay's whole thing is and i'm not lying like uh, all my rhymes are true and they are and there's you know he takes his liberties and in in, in storytelling here or there, but reasonable doubt is so autobiographical, and and so is four four four. And Jay at his best, it, it, it makes his real life feel like an epic. He he's so it good is. at telling us, and it is. It, it, he it finds what's is. epic about it, and yeah. and he and he extracts that, and 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 is so good at telling the truth. And I want to be really good at telling the truth and and he talks about things that he's not proud of yes and you can hear him talk about how he got to be in that position and the regret regret and well songs everywhere. like regret and so, things that he regrets and things that aren't uh bo and i had this rule um when making rothaniel um is like the only way that this can stand a chance at being cool is if i don't try to be cool at all like i just could I, I i couldn't try to be cool my friend lionel says that about jay-z actually he says that like like um any misstep with jay is that he's so naturally cool if he tries it's not cool <laughs> jay can't try to be cool because yeah. he just is cool so yeah. he has to just be and i and i and i and i I learned that trying to be cool is, I mean, just horrible for me. It's horrible for anybody. But, but like, but, you know, especially in a situation where I felt vulnerable, it's easy to want to lean on masculinity and, and, and bragging and, and a certain harshness to feel safe. It's armor um, or jokes 
as a comedian like this joke is how i'll i'll stand behind this joke um but i i that was me trying to be cool it was me swagging out i had to get rid of that and and you know jay at his best is saying some uncool things he was an emotional rapper you know you know at a, at a time where that wasn't the coolest thing you could no absolutely be. great talking to you always great talking to you to be continued yes always good yeah yeah there'll be so much i still have to tell you about my dad no, great. Like, yeah. it's still it's a lot there and i'm i'm figuring it out but